Hey ya girlies, it's me, Devlin Camp. This is a special queer serial announcement coming to you from the future, 2023. You're listening to an episode from the past, during which you might hear me plug some bonus content, especially in the credits. But as of 2023, here's everything you need to know if you want more queer serial, or if you want to support my many ongoing LGBTQ history projects. I got a lot going on. You can sign up for periodic email updates at the link for everything in the episode notes. First off, you can now listen to my entire backlog of Queer Serial bonus episodes on Apple Podcasts, just like you listen to the regular episodes. Just head to the Queer Serial show page on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to additional bonus episodes for $2.99 a month. Those episodes are everything from my Patreon, minus the visual stuff, but all of the bonus episodes. It includes all of the spin-off episodes, Forgotten Fairy Tales, the White Knight Riots interviews, all of my Mattachine meeting interviews, Randy Wicker Radio, etc., 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 every episode of everything I've ever made. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts for $2.99 a month, or still for $3 a month on Patreon if you want the bonus episodes and all of my visual research and my archive dives included, and behind the scenes of my Randy Wicker documentary. Also, If you're a Spotify kind of girl like me, you can also get all of my bonus episodes through Spotify now too. Just go to the podcast section and search Queer Serial Bonus Shows and there's a whole feed of Queer Serial Bonus Shows. And if you wanna get some gay merch while also supporting my queer history projects, check out the new Queer Serial Etsy shop. Etsy.com slash shop slash queer history uplift. There's a link in the episode notes here. I've got podcast merch from throughout the series and also lots of queer history related items like postcards from Mona's 1930s lesbian bar and Marsha P. Johnson stickers with her own handwriting that says gay love always straight from the Wicker and Johnson archive that I've been working on. And I've got gorgeous mugs that say queer history is world history. Other stickers that say drag is not a crime with a real photo of drag queens being arrested. And I've got these warning stickers that you can put in textbooks that are lacking queer history to warn future readers. Lots of other buttons and other stuff on Etsy too. There are links to everything in the episode notes here and at QueerSerial.com or just search for me on Instagram, Etsy, Patreon, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. I think that's everything. While you're on QueerSerial.com, by the way, check out the new episode guide. You can explore the entire podcast series episode by episode with all the research and transcripts and bonus episodes and lots of photos and videos from the true history that I cover, all at QueerSerial.com. Finally, last thing, you don't have to, but if you'd like to, go ahead and catch up on all four seasons of Queer Serial and the bonus episodes before season five comes out this October, Queer History Month. The new season is a standalone story in our history and a spin-off of an event that I briefly touched on in Season 3, Episode 7, if you want a hint. Stay tuned. Thanks so much for all of your support. I literally couldn't do it without you. Enjoy the show. This podcast uses text from real homophile-era publications, letters, and organizational documents read by voice actors. The show has identifying terms that may now be out of date. Well, I understand that we're being picketed by a group uh, of homosexuals. Uh, the uh, policy of the department is that we do not employ homosexuals knowingly, and that if we discover homosexuals in our department, we discharge them. August, 1965. Since the first annual reminder picket, 
at Independence Hall on July 4th, 1965, the East Coast homophiles have been quite busy. The Mattachine Society of Washington circulates their new press release on August 27th, 1965, announcing their next picket at the State Department, longtime enemy of homosexual civil servants. Remember, the State Department firings were the original inspiration for Harry Hay to create Mattachine. As hoped, when the FBI picked up the picket press release, they notified Secretary of State Dean Rusk, who announced the picket which, as you heard, was met with great laughter. Uh, they, uh... Just one month ago, on July 31st, the homophiles picketed the Pentagon in protest of the military's dishonorable discharging of homosexuals. Frank Kameny, Barbara Giddings, Kay Tobin, and 13 others, as usual, carried topical signs. Homosexuals died for their country, too. Government policy creates security risk. The Joint Chiefs of Staff ordered an officer of the Army Criminal Investigation Division to take photos of those picketers. One protester attached his military discharge to his sign. Most of the investigators' notes have been redacted, but they did take photos of every picketer and every license plate on every car that dropped someone off. One protester had government license plates, and the FBI began to take photos of that protester around Washington, looking for their identity. The only person we know the investigator identified was Frank Kameny, only because they forgot to redact the Ph.D. on his name, and no one else in the MSW had a Ph.D. that we know of, I guess. The only press coverage of the Pentagon picket was the local CBS Evening News. A month later, at the State Department, everything has changed but not because of the work the homophiles have done. It began with the arrest by white officers of the California Highway Patrol of two young Negroes, one on a charge of drunk driving, the other his brother, his passenger. Their mother, who lives nearby, came to the scene. There was an argument. There was a scuffle. By then, a crowd of several hundred Negroes had gathered, and the story of police brutality quickly spread through the community. A large migration took place in the 1940s, after FDR issued an executive order banning discrimination and hiring minorities. The defense industry on the West Coast responded accordingly, and the black population of Los Angeles rose quickly, from about 63,000 people in 1940 to 350,000 in the mid-60s. After the federal government then discriminated against Japanese Americans by removing them from their homes and putting them in camps... Many of the empty homes in South L.A. were filled by black residents moving to town for work. Then, of course, real estate folks started blockbusting, which is buying a home on all-white streets, selling it to a black family. Then as white families get irrationally scared, the real estate folks buy up all the white families' houses at low rates and then sell them back to black families at ridiculously high rates. Housing segregation boomed. While most white folks in L.A. supported the militarization of the LAPD, and many other people began openly criticizing officers for higher rates of police brutality against people of color. Responding to his critics in the 60s, the chief of police then referred to his officers as the thin blue line holding back chaos. Just days after LBJ signed the Voting Rights Act, and after years of mistreatment by the LAPD, on August 11th, 1965, Word spread that police had pulled a man and his brother over for reckless driving. And after their mother came to the scene from their house nearby, she was shoved and a fight broke out. 
The afternoon ring fires added to the chaos that is now southeast Los Angeles. Riots, which had quieted down during the dust, sprang again into full-scale violence this morning. The mayhem continued and new rioting flared in the southeast area. Cars by the dozens were burned. Their occupants were pulled out and beaten. Molotov cockpits had been flying through the air, carrying their flaming destruction. Rioters attacked white and Negroes alike. 148 arrests for theft, shooting and throwing missiles. Streets were so littered with rocks and broken glass that even patrol have injured probably well over 200 persons. Authorities can't even be sure of that. Looting was very widespread. Among broken glass, bricks, torn up pavement, looted stores, fires, and incredible destruction. Films and reports on this, the worst riot in our city's history, later on this news hour. Over six days of rebellion in Watts, Los Angeles, there were 34 deaths, more than 3,000 arrests, and, far less important, $40 million in public damage. Bayard Rustin wrote that they would no longer quietly submit to the deprivation of slum life. Geez, they really turned that thing over. Now they're going to burn it. It's all the way up. There it goes. Angry mobs of Negro youth and adults moved through their sealed-off area. Behind them, a trail of blood. Just over two weeks later, homophiles notify the State Department in advance that a small group of homosexuals will be quietly walking in a circle outside their building. We're being picketed by a group uh, of homosexuals. Uh, they, uh, we discharge them. Previously, either you keep up with the movement or you will be dropped by the wayside. Fed up with the federal government, Joshua sends letters to the newspaper declaring himself Emperor of the United States. He demands the U.S. Congress to be dissolved. By the time of his death, Emperor Norton is mourned by 10,000 people in the streets surrounding his funeral. His anti-establishment demands are respected by the community of San Francisco. Maybe we, we could get the Progressive Party to stop uh, hounding the guys in the State Department. The New York Times reports that since 1947, 91 people have resigned from the State Department while under investigation as security risks. Most of these were homosexuals. 4,000 men and women, white and black, northern and southern, have crossed the Arch Bridge out of Selma, Alabama, and are marching the 50 miles that will take them to the state capitol in Montgomery. The vanguard moved over the bridge and passed the point where state police stopped them two weeks ago. Behind them, a solid mass of demonstrators streamed out of Selma and across the Alabama River. See that they disperse. This march will not continue. Then if they don't listen, we will dramatize this whole situation and seek to arouse the conscience of the federal government by marching by the thousands on places of registration all over this state. Elijah and I think it's time to pick it. Cuba's government persecutes homosexuals. U.S. government beat them to it. History in the making. <laughs> I'm writing this very, very wearily, following a 10-person picketing officially by the Mattachine Society of Washington of the White House. Tomorrow, the New York activists will march outside the United Nations. We don't dodge the draft. The draft dodges us. Individual freedom, see. Persecution, no. Homosexuals stage protest in Capitol. It was shown on TV in New York, Chicago, San Francisco, Miami, Indiana, Texas, Seattle. July 4th. 
the anniversary of the signing of the Declaration of Independence. We can call it the annual reminder. The reminder that a group of Americans still don't have their basic rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I don't believe this. They're all actors. I'm Devlin Camp, and this is the serialized story of queer liberation in America, from the beginning to Stonewall. The FBI alerts Metro PD, the Secret Service, the military, and the photographer who went to the Pentagon picket. The State Department picket is watched closely. But the homophiles are feeling bold and relentless. The morning before the picket, Frank Kameny announced to the Mattachine that the Civil Service Commission has finally agreed to a meeting. Here's your proof. The pickets do work, and all the press is effective. The activists welcome cameras at their picket. The Secretary of State's announcement that the State Department will be picketed has drawn in a ton of press. CBS, the Kansas City Star, and the Washington Post all show up to see a dozen people protesting from 2 to 4 p.m. on August 28, 1965. The Post notes that Secretary Rusk says, The demonstration would have no effect on the department's personnel policies. This has to do with the problems of blackmail and problems of personal instability and all sorts of things so that I don't think that we can give any comfort to those who might be tempted to picket us. Still, they picket. Sexual conduct is irrelevant to State Department employees. 15 million American homosexuals protest treatment by State Department. This demonstration is sponsored by the Mattachine Society of Florida, Incorporated. Yeah, Florida, sort of. Washington Mattachine members take a photo surrounding this Florida sign, pretending to be Floridians marching in Washington, and they send that photo to a taxi driver in Miami named Richard Inman. Jack Nichols has been in touch with Richard, writing letters back and forth about gay liberation. Richard has started a gay group called the Athenium Society, but Jack has been pushing him to adopt the Mattachine name and join the mainstream movement. Richard agrees, so long as Jack serves as their VP. Jack's boyfriend, Lige, also agrees to edit the Florida group's newsletter. The first matter at hand, a sexual psychopath bill, has landed in the Florida legislature, allowing the state to put citizens accused of the abominable and detestable crime against nature into mental hospitals. Richard alerts politicians that he'll have a circle of homosexuals picketing the Florida Capitol building if this bill is passed, but he's the only Mattachine member in Florida. And he's really not that good at recruiting So Jack and Lige set up the phony photo in Washington at their picket, which actually does get printed in the Miami News, and the Florida State Legislature drops the bill. And so begins hours of phone calls from Jack to Richard in Florida, who seems to need a ton of help. Lige is getting furious. Jack is married to the movement, and Lige starts banning long phone calls to Frank Kameny and Richard Inman. On top of it all, Jack expects Lige to have dinner on the table for him when he gets home. And still, after dinner, Jack goes across the street to use the payphone to talk Mattachine for hours. Richard definitely needs the guidance. He goes on Miami's very popular WTVJ Channel 4 to speak in their documentary called The Homosexual, and he appears to be very uncomfortable. Here's the real clip. 
Richard Enman, president of the Mattachine Society of Florida, whose goal is to legalize homosexuality between consenting adults, was a reluctant participant in tonight's program. What type of laws are you after? Well, let me say first of all what type of laws we are not after, because there has been much to do that the society was in favor of uh, uh, the legalization of marriage between homosexuals and the adoption of children and such as that, and that is not at all uh, factual at all. Homosexuals do not want that. Uh, you might find some fringe character someplace who says that that's what he wants. Are you a homosexual? Yeah, well, that's yes and no. Uh, I was a homosexual, uh, first engaged in such acts when I was 14 years old. Um, I was never seduced by an older person or anything like that. But I gave it up about, oh, I forget, some years ago, over four years ago. It's not my cup of tea. Hal Call writes to Richard, telling him to stop using the Mattachine name or his own work in San Francisco will be ruined. Of course, Richard and the Washington Mattachinos ignore this demand. In early September, Frank Kameny writes to Richard in Florida. Dear Richard, I've been threatening to write you a letter for quite some time now, and now that picketing is over for a bit, I'm finally catching up on things, so here goes. First, some news of the utmost importance, and for the moment, utmost confidentiality. On August 28th, three years to the day since we first requested a meeting, the U.S. Civil Service Commission agreed to meet with us. This was in direct consequence of our picketing and was in reply to a follow-up letter from us to the commission after our picketing them. The meeting will take place next week. Five of us will go. We will have a briefing and policy-making session beforehand. We consider this as one of the more important breakthroughs we have had to date. In any case, life with the homophile movement continues to be exciting and stimulating and infinitely interesting and rewarding. September 8th, 1965, 7.30 p.m. Frank Kameny, Lily Vincennes, Gail Johnson, and two other Mattachinos enter the Civil Service Commission for a 90-minute meeting with two high-ranking officials. The officials are polite, but clearly uncomfortable and uneducated. One of the officials even says to them, I'm not accusing any of you of being gay. The group discusses the vaguely worded anti-gay policies of the CSC, and, of course, the new ruling in Bruce Scott's case that people can't be fired just on the suspicion that they're homosexual. The Civil Service Commission representatives ask the MSW for a formal statement on this matter, which the Mattachine obliges, of course. They send a 16-page document complete with footnotes explaining and denouncing, essentially, the ongoing Lavender Scare. The Civil Service Commission decides not to appeal Bruce Scott's verdict to the Supreme Court. They will allow Scott to apply for federal work again. Kameny calls it a complete vindication. And still, some homophiles write to the latter, describing picketing as... Ridiculous, if not utter insanity. It's best to work quietly, on an individual basis. They say, it's still too soon for the young movement. Ill-timed. Barbara and Kay are running the latter, but they don't care. They pick it anyway. 
They go to their local supermarket and buy several copies of a grocery store rag that has photos of them at the first annual reminder picket back in July. The headline, as mentioned last week, but I love it, Homos on the March. And the article actually gets all the facts right and doesn't paint them as sick. Barbara and Kay are thrilled. Frank writes in Eastern Mattachine Magazine. It should be made plain that this organization does not look upon picketing as a mere publicity stunt, but as an avenue of last resort to be adopted only when it is clear that all doors are closed to us and are likely to remain so. It is a welcome addition to the movement's arsenal, but an addition whose use we deeply hope will be rendered unnecessary. After a San Francisco reverend involved in the Council on Religion and the Homosexual has his job essentially taken away by the church, 30 picketers, including Del Martin and Phyllis Lyon, show up at Grace Cathedral to protest during Sunday morning service. Barbara Giddings at the latter reports that upon hearing this news, there was... Resounding applause from those members and friends of Eastern homophile groups who favor picketing as a strategy to call attention to injustices. On this same topic... Sir President Bill Bairdemphil writes in their magazine, Vector. He has a prediction about these protests. In social rights movements, is violence, such as recently erupted in Los Angeles, inevitable? Will the eventual recourse of the homophile revolution be a similar bloodbath? In yet another rambling letter to Jack Nichols, on September 19th, 1965, Richard Inman of Florida is gossiping, writing, seemingly unconnected to the prediction in Vector. I have a friend inside the FBI who says there is one boss man of the syndicate's homo shakedown detail for the whole U.S. But this time, Richard Inman is dead on. Okay, we'll be right back following this message. So far on my Patreon this season, we've taken dives into the gay coloring books of the 1960s and the homophile publications of Canada. We've heard the Walter Jenkins gay scandal in the White House and Randy Wicker discussing the erotic revolution. This week, we're taking a look at what the Mattachine Society does when they're not fighting each other for power. We're looking at the Mattachine's call logs. People called the Mattachine offices for all sorts of help, looking for jobs that hire queers, advice for gay teens trying to escape their abusive homes, mothers calling for advice to understand their queer children, and Mattachine volunteers logged every call. We're also going through some of Jose Saria's papers during his work with Sir and the Tavern Guild, and we're doing more 60s gay coloring books. Check out all this queer history and more along with the bonus podcast at patreon.com slash queer serial. It's a dollar a month to see all the research dives like these, or $3 a month if you want to include the bonus podcast from all three seasons, including the infamous crimes Boise Sex Panic series. 
Plus, there's books and buttons and mugs and more bonus stuff, but you can see all that stuff at patreon.com slash queer serial. There's a link in the episode notes. At the 1965 ECHO conference in New York City on September 24th, Frank Kameny speaks before the 200 homophile delegates who traveled from all over the country. Kameny shows off a film of the first annual reminder picket at Independence Hall to show how successful the pickets have been. When he's done, there's a standing ovation. Another speaker reminds the homophiles that these are techniques picked up from the civil rights movement and that we should be joining people of color on their picket lines, too. He says, the answer has to be what is humanly right, and in the end, you'll go further that way. The 12 homophile group's representatives gather after the banquet to discuss the disagreements between them, especially between East and West Coasts. They decide a national collaboration would be for the benefit of everyone. We should all be working together. The homophile groups vote and decide to meet in the middle, neutral territory, in Kansas City in February next year. October 23rd, 1965. New York City police have already alerted the FBI that the Mattachine Society of New York is organizing busloads of protesters to D.C., 45 picketers are arriving at the White House. FBI Director Hoover informs the Justice Department, Secret Service, Metro Police, and the military, which is fine because Frank and the Mattachine want everyone to know they're coming. They already let the police know in advance that they'd be returning to picket the White House again. The Chief of Police tells his captains to prepare for any possible developments during the protest. Spying FBI agents note the 45 protesters even include women, and that all the men are dressed in suits and ties, and the women are in skirts and heels. The binary dream. The agents also write down what some of the signs say. Equal opportunity for all. All means all. Fair employment applies to homosexuals, too. Sexual preference is irrelevant to federal employment. Government policy toward homosexuals creates security risks. Legality. Demonstration sponsored by Mattachine Society of Washington, D.C., Post Office Box 11032. And among the many white people, mostly men, is a black woman wearing a fitted skirt, dark pumps, white cat's eye sunglasses, and carrying a handbag. She's back for another picket. 24-year-old Ernestine Eckstein holds her sign declaring, Denial of equality of opportunity is immoral. Put a pin in her for next week. Kay Tobin snaps a few shots of the picket. Check them out on my Instagram at Queer Serial. Though Kameny hoped for, and told the police department to expect, 100 picketers, this one of 45 is still the largest yet. Soon, an anti-picket line of two teenagers forms. They've got signs, too. Get serious! Are you kidding? Cops keep them at a distance. TV networks cover the demonstration again. The picketers used to want assurance that their identities would be kept secret, but now they hope to be covered on the news. Some of them even come out on national television. One man who came out on CBS will later say he gained a little piece of his soul that day. 
At the end of the picket, Frank presents a letter for the president at the White House gate, which the Secret Service accepts. Frank is frustrated again. Two days ago, the Civil Service Commission wrote to Bruce Scott that he is legally eligible for federal employment again, but they have some information about him that might make him unsuitable. They're looking for a new way to keep this queer out. Kameny and his Mattachine are right back where they were years ago, still unemployable. And also, just days ago, thousands marched in cities all over the country against the war in Vietnam, and yet only 45 homophiles have shown up to picket the White House today? Is picketing really working? After the demonstration, the protesters walk over to the chicken hut for drinks and to chat about what's next. Jack Nichols is thrilled for the upcoming events, like the National Homophile Convention in Kansas City. Meanwhile, Lige writes to Jack from Kentucky, where he's home for his mother's funeral. And I wish, too, that you could have been with me through all of this. The leaders decide these protests have probably run their course. They'll limit pickets to the annual reminder every 4th of July at Independence Hall. The barrier has now been broken, and like Jack said, the activists are now immunized against fear. They've put their faces out there. They've declared homosexuals exist and deserve rights, and there's no turning back. Government agencies coming after them is now business as usual. Homophiles have almost never backed down when the FBI came for them, which is possibly why the Bureau has finally begun to lose interest in the Mattachine Society. J. Edgar Hoover is distracted by all the other civil rights he wants to suppress. He keeps the queer organizations documented, their publications archived, the major protests recorded. Hoover goes about his usual routine, writing to work with his associate director and suspected lover, Clyde Tolson. They often have their car stop a few blocks from FBI headquarters so they can walk the rest of the way down Constitution Avenue together. Hard to say why Hoover led up on his battle against homophiles. Maybe he knew they couldn't be stopped. But there's a very unconfirmed suspicion, a theory really, based on the fact that in the mid-60s, There's a mafia boss running a shakedown ring targeting some of the highest-profile closeted homosexuals in the nation. Some suspect that this boss is shaking down America's biggest closet gays themselves, the FBI directors. Put a pin in that, too. Back in San Francisco, their activists are also moving on. The Tavern Guild puts on a Halloween ball called the Beaux-Arts Ball. It's one of the many events the Tavern Guild funds, including picnics and other parties for the growing gay community. This ball is a huge new event for local drag, and they crown their new reigning queen, the renowned former star of the late Black Cat Cafe, Jose Saria. Jose announces, I'm already a queen, so now I must be an empress. Jose declares himself the widow of the late Emperor Norton, who died nearly a century ago. But just like with Emperor Norton in the 1850s, the city of San Francisco accepts Jose's new title completely, declaring this drag queen Empress Jose I, the widow Norton. And that is how the empress began. 
the Grand Mare Saria, used his reinvention to debut a new charity for the queer community. He goes to the Tavern Guild, the Mattachine, and the Daughters of Elitus to form an organization of allies in San Francisco who mostly don't want to be led by a drag queen. So, he starts his own, the Imperial Court, which will be led by an annually elected empress. The daughters bring a throne and mismatched dishes and invite dozens of people to make donations to fund various gay interests, such as funding leaders' travel to the upcoming homophile planning conference in Kansas City. Empress Jose also declares Del Martin and Phyllis Lyon the first duchesses. The Imperial Court will hold an annual pilgrimage to the Emperor Norton's grave in Colma, California, where the widow Norton lays flowers for her very, very late husband. Jose Julio Saria, a.k.a. the Marquesa, the Black Cat, the Nightingale of Montgomery Street, the Grand Mir, the Absolute Empress the First of San Francisco, the Widow Norton, even buys a burial plot near Emperor Norton's, where Jose will be buried in 2013. The Imperial Court will go on to become one of the largest LGBTQ organizations in the world, raising millions in cities everywhere. And just as Empress Saria had hoped, an empress will continue to reign on the throne for decades to come. Back in 1965, the Mattachines remain a poor, struggling court jester. In San Francisco, Mattachine and the daughters rely on support from the gay bar community. But in the East, homophile groups don't even have much help from the bars. The Mafia runs the East Coast bars, and the profits are huge, so long as queers need protection from cops. One New York homophile aims to change that. Over 100 gay men per week are entrapped by New York police and arrested for homosexual solicitation. Cops dress in normal clothes and pretend to cruise for sex, oftentimes engaging in some actual sexual contact, and then they arrest the gay man they've lured in. It's a common problem, and it's getting worse. Gay guys like to hang out along Central Park West between 59th and 86th, where they sit on a long bench that runs from one corner all the way to the next. Huge crowds come hang out. The police drive by a few times every night, shining their lights on the crowd. Move on. Keep moving, faggots. Keep moving. The guys get off the benches and walk very slowly until the cops turn the corner, then they all run back. <laughs> Dick Leish loves this spot. He's from Kentucky, where he dreamed of moving to New York to drink cocktails and smoke cigarettes like Betty Davis. One winter night in New York, Dick cruised down Greenwich Avenue and spotted a cute guy standing in a bakery doorway. The guy walked down Christopher Street, and Dick casually followed him. The cute guy stopped, leaned against a building, and waited for Dick. He's Craig Rodwell, who you might remember from some pickets. Dick cracked up when Craig said he was in the Mattachine, that old conservative group. But anytime Dick wanted to hang, Craig had a Mattachine meeting, so Dick joined him. After their nasty breakup, Dick was 
elected second-in-command of the New York Mattachine Society, behind Julian Hodges. That was the election with the closeted author, Donald Webster Corey. Dick Leish promises to work to end police entrapment in New York City. Mayor Wagner has led a tough drive against homosexuals, sex workers, and people on the street as New York City cleaned up for the World's Fair. History repeating itself. The plainclothes cops entrapping gay men have become so frequent that people in the bars start recognizing the cops. Bar patrons sometimes make a circle around the cop and tell everyone around them who this person is. Sometimes they even follow the cop to his next bar and warn people there. In October of 64, the New York Times reported that the 1st Assembly District is demanding a cleanup of the problem of homosexuals who have been congregating on Village Square at 8th Street and Avenue of the Americas. Those Democratic leaders were led by Ed Koch, who once openly supported legalizing sodomy, but after losing an election, he changed his tune. Two days after the announcement, the Times added that Koch was to head a drive to rid the area of homosexuals and other undesirables. Koch and the commissioner announced plans to increase surveillance of Greenwich Village to curtail loitering and solicitation by homosexuals. Gay bars all over New York City shudder, and hundreds of homosexuals are entrapped by plainclothes police. Just like Dale Jennings in the earliest Mattachine days, and so many others before and after him. And for these many entrapped queers, their lives and careers are ruined. The Mattachine phone in New York rings all night sometimes with calls asking for help. Sometimes the cops recommend an attorney to their arrested victim, who ends up charging ridiculous fees because the gay men are so desperate. Those attorneys, of course, then give a cut back to the cop who arrested the guy. Back in April of 65, Koch asked Mayor Wagner for another cleanup of the village, and he got it. And three months later, another sweep went down Christopher Street. It all works pretty well for Ed Koch politically. And as history has shown, a new mayoral election means even more trouble for gay bars. Republican Congressman John Lindsay announces his bid for mayor against Wagner. So Wagner needs to prove to the people that he cleans the streets. Meanwhile, New York Mattachine President Julian Hodges comes to Dick Leish privately in their office. He tells Dick he's been misappropriating Mattachine money. Dick says, you've got to tell the treasurer, who tells Julian... He'll make up the missing funds, but Julian's got to leave town. Dick Leish becomes president of the New York Mattachine as John Lindsay becomes mayor of New York City. Dick is hopeful that the new mayor will be less aggressive with the gay community. Joseph Kahn, New York Post. Hello, I'm Dick. You're the president of the Mattachine Society of New York? Proudly so. Please come in. Have a seat. Someone will get that. Thank you for meeting with me, Mr. Leish. I... You'll have to ignore it. It rings all day. I'm here to talk about the potential change in the sodomy law under consideration in the state legislature. Yes, exciting stuff. The Mattachine Society would like to... I better go get this one. I got it. Thank you. Do you mind if I ask 
Who are all these phone calls from? News reporters, lawyers, usually guys who get entrapped by the police. Entrapped? Set up by the cops? Yes, exactly that. Set up for lewd behavior and such. Are they... Excuse me for asking. Are they really set up, though? Aren't they out looking for sex, you know, in in the parks? Sure, but it's not legal for cops to lure them into it. But it happens every night. Hmm. Hmm? It's hard to believe there are so many entrapment victims. Would you like to talk to some? Next week on Episode 6, The Sip-In and the Social Profit. Thank you so much for listening. If you're enjoying Queer Serial, please give the show a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts to help the podcast reach some new listeners. You can also follow the show at Queer Serial on Instagram to see the real events and people from every episode. I've got tons to share from this episode. And subscribe to periodic email updates for all things Queer Serial at the link in the episode notes. If you'd like to learn more about Jose Saria and the Imperial Court, check out the new documentary, 50 Years of Fabulous. There's also a link to that in the notes. You can also see Jose Saria in one of the best movies ever made, To Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar. Saria plays a judge at the New York pageant alongside Quentin Crisp. Jose Saria is credited as Widow Norton. Thank you to everyone who has donated to support the production of the podcast and my upcoming projects. If you want to support the show, join my Patreon at patreon.com slash queerserial for lots of bonus content, or head over to queerserial.com slash donate. Also, thanks to the One Archives, the GLBT Historical Society, and the Gerber Hart Library and Archives. Check out queerserial.com for more resources. Teachers, feel free to DM me on any social media or email me at queerserial at gmail.com for transcripts of the episodes. Voice actors. Barbara Giddings was played by Clarissa Janelle, Kay Tobin by Katie Spleet, Jack Nichols by Nick Large, Lige Clark and Richard Inman by Dan Unser, Frank Kameny by Albert Williams, Daughters by Jen Freitag and Jacoba White, Bill Beardamphil by Will Roscoe, Homophiles by Julian Hall and Jack Murphy. Ernestine Eckstein by Jada Shores, my sweetheart. Teen Protester and Cop by Mike Kanish. Jose Saria's final appearance by John Martinez. Dick Leish by Evan Kepnick. Joseph Kahn by John Roth. I'm here to talk about the potential change in the sodomy law. I'm here to talk about the potential change in the sodomy law. I'm here to talk about the potential change in the sodomy law. Sodomy law. Sodomy law. Sodomy. 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 <laughs> sodomy, sodomy. The fabulous podcast art is by Ryan Teal. Some of the music you'll hear this season is by Kevin McLeod and Incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0, but most of the music is from Blue Dot Sessions. The original Mattachine Society Jester logo is used courtesy of One Archives at USC Libraries. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Devlin Camp. See you next week. Aren't they out looking for sex, you know, in the parks? Mm-hmm.